Hello Life Changes Church, we are so excited that you clicked on this video. We are in a series called What's It Like? As we look at the parables that Jesus told as he unpacked the kingdom of God for us. So why don't you get ready, sit back, grab a notebook, grab a pen as we get encouraged by this word. Morning church. <laughs> Sorry, I, I did give that guy instructions because he was here in the first service. I, I did give him instructions that he has to obviously be more vociferous and laugh at the same jokes because uh, I don't have new ones. But um, it's good. It's good to see you this morning. I hope that you're well. And uh, we are preaching through this uh, series. My name is Quinton, if you don't know me. Uh, I've been part of the Life Changes Church since 2008. Wow. Well, quite a thing, eh? Quite a thing. It's, uh, it's quite a thing to be in one community for a long time. Uh, you, I mean, I have had to put up with Michael for uh, quite a few years now. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going straight to heaven. So we're, we're preaching through the parables. Um, and, um, and maybe this morning you're new to church. Maybe you're actually not even sure what a parable is. But uh, let, me, let me tell you, a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the gospel. That's what Wikipedia says. I've added on an extra line. It also tells us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And um, if you're anything like me, you might be disappointed sometimes when you read the parables. Because I remember thinking when you'd read that line, the kingdom of heaven is like... And I, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm like, like a, a massive army, like an army, so just with massive, strong, it's, it's like a fortified city, it's none of those things. He never, ever says that. And we'll, we'll work through it today. But actually, when we get to the heart of it, it's incredible. Is that good? Give me a sec. Mark, need, Mark needs to work on his placement of the podium, um, but it's fine. You know, they say it's always good to, um, to start a sermon off with a confession. So who would like to hear Mpele just confess something this morning? No, I'm just kidding. You sit down, buddy. Um, but I, I do have a confession. And um, the confession is this morning. I love the parables, but not for the reason that you think. You see, in my house, um, I am the bedtime storyteller. And so for all of my kids that have kind of gone through. Thankfully, I've got two teenagers now, so one of the pros of having teenagers is you don't have to tell bedtime stories anymore. Um, but it kind of, there are a few cons, but that's a, it's a different story. Um, and for parents, school, school's back this week. I'm just saying you can celebrate. Um, the holiday is almost over. Um, but for my little one, she's got this, uh, this, this picture Bible I think we've read it 30 times, like end to end. It's, uh, she always wants to read that book. I've tried to, like, let's read another one. No, no, let's read that book. Um, but the cool thing, uh, the reason why I love the parables is that they're super short. Uh, and so um, if, if you're a storyteller in your house and you've had to read a long story and suddenly you realize you've just woken up because you fell asleep, while telling the story. The parables are helpful because in this book, they're like two pages long. There's pictures. It's very helpful. So that's my reason for loving the parables. Uh, we can just end, we can end the sermon there. Um, I hope that was helpful. Um, 
But the parables are incredible. Now, we're going to read a parable this morning. You can start turning in your Bibles, if you've got them with you, to Matthew chapter 25. Um, and the preceding chapters. So if you've got a Bible that, that kind of places the text in red when Jesus is actually speaking, uh, chapters 23, 24, 25, it's, just, it's the Red Sea. It's a sea of red. It's just Jesus talking a lot. Um, and I, I recommend that when you see those, that red text, uh, it's almost like you want to pay almost extra attention because Jesus is talking directly to us. Um, and in chapter 24, before we get to 25, Jesus drops a couple of bombs. The first one he drops is that the temple is going to be destroyed. But he only tells the disciples because if he had actually said that in public, I think he would have been crucified earlier than when he was, because that was, it was absolute heresy. That's literally like, going, like arriving at the airport at security and going, I've got a bomb in my bag. It's not going to go well for you. You're going to get taken down. So he, he told them about the, the, the temple being destroyed, but he, he just told the disciples. Okay? It's important. Then he starts talking about the end times. And he starts talking about what's going to happen. And it's tricky, yeah? If, you, if you're like me and you read through the Bible and the Bible starts talking about some challenging things, it's not always easy to understand. But I've got a little tip for you this morning. If you read something in the Bible that's difficult to understand, I suggest just believe. That's what I do. When I read something, I go, Lord, I actually don't really understand this. I'm going to try but you will reveal it to me in your time. But for now, I'm going to have faith. I'm going to believe. But the cool thing about what Jesus is telling and what he's talking about in chapter 24 is he says one thing that's very easy to understand. He says, when it comes in terms of timing, because the disciples want to know when. When is this going to happen? And, um, hi, Mom. Just saw my mom. And, um, and so Jesus says, only the Father knows. He doesn't even know. So when you see these crazy dudes on TV telling you the world's going to end in 2023, just like smile and wave. Smile and wave because they don't know. No one knows. Only the Father knows. And that's, that's good. I like that. All right. So off we go. Matthew chapter 25. We are going to read and talk through the parable of the talents. Got to tell you this morning, talents, it's not what you think, some of you. It's not like juggling Juggling for Jesus. Uh, it's, not, it's not like a special, like, I can do this trick. It's not that at all. All right? Talents in that time was a measure of money. Okay? There's some debate as to how much and exactly, but just know it's a lot of money. So for a laborer, for a servant, it was a lot of money. That's all you need to land with this morning. All right, cool. Let's go. Verse 14, chapter 25. And just for my fan club of the over 70s, I'm reading from the New King James this morning. So just, just for you this morning. How about that, eh? So for the kingdom, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid the Lord's money. 
It's a very strange thing to do. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought, brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came to the Lord exactly the same. Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Exactly the same. But then things change. Then he who had received the one talent came to the Lord and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Oh, straight off the bat, eh? not even like a hello, how was your trip? I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And as I was afraid, I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Interesting. But the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Interest has been around for a long time, guys, just so you know. That's just, we're going to preach on that at some time. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. Wow. So the guy who's already got 10 gets another one. That's interesting. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do love that. Yeah? Everyone loves that line. It's not the first time that Jesus has used it uh, in the parables. Jesus was the master storyteller. And in this particular parable, he does something interesting. He uses a pattern. Okay? So he, there's, two, there's two gents, two servants. They go away. They get, they get given resources. They go and do something with them. And so you see exactly this repetition, line for line, as they're reporting back to Jesus. And then Jesus hits you with a big whammy. So you kind of you get into this rhythm as there's the pattern, and then all of a sudden, there's the guys thrown into outer darkness. It's like, my goodness, this is quite hectic. And so, and you know what? I remember when I first read this parable, kind of thinking, that's a bit rough. Yeah? Isn't like the master being a bit, bit rough on this guy? Because, I mean, you know, surely um, the guy could do some help. Yeah? And so maybe we want to apply our modern philosophical moral brains to this thing and go, actually, you know what, the guy needs help. Maybe he just needs to go on a bit of a course, you know, just to kind of help him, steer him in the right direction, and he can get another go, give him another chance, come on. Um, but the reality is, Jesus is telling the story. He's not trying to appeal to our philosophical and moral brains. He's trying to tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we need to understand and get it this morning. So we're going to work through this parable. Are you with me? Yeah. We're going to do it together. Let's go. Um, and we're going to see what Jesus is highlighting as he talks through the parable. When you read parables, you know, ask yourself two things. Who's speaking to me? You're reading the parable. Someone is speaking to you. Invariably, it's Jesus. 
In this case, it is Jesus. He is speaking to us. And you need to then ask yourself, what part do I play? Because the whole concept of a parable is that you can actually put yourself into the parable. You, know, you are one of the characters in the parable, and you need to decide which one it is. Alrighty. So, here we go. I love saying that. It's for the football fans out there. But if you're not into football, you wouldn't know what that's about. Um, so, the parable starts, and Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. But before the master leaves, he distributes some resources, yeah? some money. It was money. And the first guy gets five of these talents. Some of the dudes who know what they're talking about say a talent was worth about 20 years' worth of um, a laborer's um, wage. Thanks, Mike. I couldn't get that word. Which is a lot. Think about it. Well, that's one talent. This guy got five. It's like 100 years' worth of wages. It's a lot of money. But we need to understand here, yeah, the distribution of the resources is not even. Yeah? Five, two, and one. And maybe in our modern minds, in our modern day, would go, oh, that's not a good idea. You need to be fair. Yeah, you need to distribute this evenly because actually they, they, you know, the guy only got one or two. They're not going to be happy with that. So actually, but no, there's a formula. There's a formula that the master uses to distribute money. Do you know what that formula is? That formula is, I'm going to read it for you, each according to his ability. The formula is ability. So you get five because the Lord says, well, you can work and handle five, and you get one because that's what I know you can handle. So as we work through this, you'll see that we're going to start getting an understanding about the servants and about the master. The servants, first of all, are not the same people. Obviously, because it's saying according to their ability. So obviously they had different ability. Just like in this room, we are different people. You know, we're not all the same. We are different. We have different backgrounds, different stories, different capabilities. And the expectation by the master is that each servant will be productive to the degree that they are capable. He knows what they are capable of. He is not there to compare the servants. That's not about, that's not that, uh, you, we need to, as human beings, we compare. I bet the servant that got two was like, oh, that guy got five. What's up with that? Yeah, I mean, I don't even think about what the guy that only got one was thinking. Yeah, but that's what we do as humans. We can't help ourselves. We have to compare. But I'm just so relieved, actually, that in the kingdom of heaven, it's not about comparison. The framework is not it's Mike versus me. Who's going to produce the most? I would lose. I'd lose. I mean, look at this guy. The framework is your ability. When the master measures, he's measuring about what you were capable of doing. Yeah? Are you with me? Fantastic. That's incredible and incredibly freeing. The kingdom of heaven is not a race to the top. It's not about who is better. It's about what do you bring to the table and are you using it? We need to work with that. But what does it say about the master? So first of all, we realize the servants are not the same. They're different. They have different abilities, different capabilities. What does it say about the master? Well, it says this. 
the master knew each one of them intimately. He knew that the one he gave five to, it was not too much and it wasn't too little. It was enough. He also knew that the guy he gave two talents to, five would have been too much for him. So he knows every single one of them individually, and that's incredible. The master knows his servants intimately. And so we start to see this pattern of the story unfold. The first guy goes out, and he, um, with his five talents, he gets 100% return. Five more. Did very well. Second guy goes out, incredibly doubles his investment as well, which is amazing. But you know what's important here? Is that there's never a comparison. The master never said to the guy who brought home two more, oh, like, well done, buddy, but you see what that guy did. Five. It's incredible. He never does that. It's never a comparison. I want to tell you this this morning, that I firmly believe that in the kingdom of God, we, are, we all have abilities and capabilities. Yeah? yeah? Every single one of us. We're not here to measure whose is better and who has more. But I'll tell you this one thing. If I look at myself, and I think about when I first got saved, to where I am now, and as I've grown and matured, so my abilities have grown and matured. I'm capable of more now than I was when I first got to know Jesus. Yeah? But that's not a measurement of me versus somebody else. It's a measurement of me. Yeah? And what I'm capable for the master. But then there's this third guy. What on earth is going on with this third guy? It's, it's, it's actually bizarre. Imagine someone comes to you and says, here's a bunch of money. Do something with that. And you go dig a hole. And you stick the money in the hole. You gotta, when, you read the, when you read the Bible, guys, you've got to realize that some of the stuff is like, you've got to ask yourself, what was this guy thinking? So he, the, the, the Bible says that he, they use the word hide. He hid the money. The other time that that word is used is if you reverse back to Matthew 5, and there's the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is talking about salt and light. And he says you need to be the salt of the earth. He says you need to be a light yeah, that shines. He says... As a light that shines, you do not take the light, the lamp, and hide it under a bowl. What's the use of that light? Yeah? In fact, you've got to put the light on a stand so that it, the light emanates and we can see. It's the same word, hide. So he takes the money and he hides the money. This servant was given an incredible resource and responsibility and he hides it. I'm going to come back to that in a second. So time passes. The master, he has now distributed the resources, and he's now back. And the Bible says, how much time passed? Was it a week? It says no. It says a long time. Yeah? That's a long time. Yeah? It's probably, it could feel like a lifetime. It was a long time. So when we see that these first two servants kind of got their their 100% return, they didn't get lucky. Yeah? They didn't play the lotto one day. Yeah? It wasn't like uh, they just had a good week. No, it was a long time. It was a long slog. It was a marathon. And if you, you, know, if, if you know anything about investing, if, you, if you've ever seen like an investment a graph where you see the investment increasing over time, when you zoom in on that graph, you'll see it's not a straight line. 
Yeah, it's up and down. Yeah? It's up, hopefully it's going in the right direction, but there's, there's good days and there's bad days. And they probably had bad days. They probably had bad weeks. There were probably weeks where they, were, they had the old COVID. It went well. Yeah? And they couldn't do much. So over a long period of time, they were productive and successful. But the reality then is the opposite is true for the third servant. He also had a long time to do something. And so over a long period of time, he made a decision to do nothing. It was a decision. He could have, guys, he could have changed his mind. You know, halfway in, he could have gone, oh, what am I doing? Maybe I should go speak to those guys, see what they're up to. Maybe I need to change my ways. No, he did not. He stuck with it. He stuck with his doing nothing. So what's happening? Well, the reality is what Jesus is trying to tell us is that our value, our true character, is something that gets developed over the trajectory of our lives, over a lifetime. Our character comes through and gets developed. The first two guys were faithful and productive over a long period. And that's, that's the true measure of faithfulness over a long period. Yeah? Easy to be faithful for a short time. Yeah? But we need to be faithful through the thick and the thin and through the hardest of times. Faithfulness. The opposite is true of the third guy. He was unfaithful, unproductive over a long period of time. Whatever was motivating the third servant, it was clear that he did not value what the master valued. The first two understood, and they valued it. So then the master returns. And it's almost like there's a celebration, because the first two guys come in, and uh, they're explaining to the master what they've done, and he, the master, is ecstatic. He's over the moon. Yeah, he just, he can't believe it. He's like, wow, this is amazing. And it's incredible to see, in that moment we realize it's not about how much, but about what. What you did. Because the guy who only made two more, he gets the same response from the master as the guy who made five more. Never a comparison. It is what they did. It's how they used the ability within them. Jesus, as he's talking through the story, is painting a picture of the master, of himself. And there's three things that are clear here. Number one is that the master is incredibly generous. Incredibly generous. Because he's, he's gifted them with resources, and actually he doesn't want anything in return. He doesn't want a profit. He doesn't want the resources back. Yeah? He's a generous and kind master. He never compares the two guys who have done something with it. Yeah? He is ecstatic that they've actually just done something. So he is incredibly generous. We know that he knows his servants intimately. He does not make unreasonable demands of his servants. And thirdly, he is full of joy when they have taken what they were given and made something and done something. He says, he uses this line, come and share in your master's joy. So we start actually getting the picture that actually what they were working for was his joy. They're not working for the profit. The money has actually got is irrelevant. What they're working for is the joy of the master. Yeah? And he says, come 
and celebrate in your master's joy. I am full of joy because of what you have done. That's incredible. So powerful. But then what about the third guy? Something has got to be up with this guy. And so when he walks in <clears throat> to come report back to the master, what are the first words that come out? It's not like, how was your trip? So good to see you again. No, his words were, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. In South Africanism, it would be like going into your boss's office and say, I knew that you were a chop. <laughs> In America, you'd probably say a jerk. That's the word they use. We say chop. But where does he get this from? I'm reading this going, have I missed something? Is there something that I do not know? Because up until now, it looks like he's been an incredibly kind and generous master. Where on earth is this coming from? Have I missed something? Well, let me explain to you where he gets his reasoning from. Because he says, he says, I know you to be a hard master, merciless. Yeah? And he says this, as he, he follows it up with the following. He says, I see that you harvest where you haven't sown, you gather where you haven't scattered seed. So what that means is, he says, I can see that you're an incredibly successful and productive master. That actually, even in places where you have not put in any effort, you still reap. Yeah? Yeah. And so my character assumption of you, master, is that because of that, you must be a hard man. He makes a character assumption of the master, which is completely off base. It's completely wrong. But I'm going to ask you this. Are we seeing a weak and timid person that was so afraid of this master, so afraid of not hitting the bar, yeah, that he would not make, he, the, the, the master is so perfect that he could not hit that, um, and, and in that he's timid and scared. Is that really what's happening here? Because the master responds to him in a very different way. Because if that was the case, then maybe, yes, maybe he does need that kind of coaching, you know, to kind of help him and give him a little bit more confidence as he goes along. But actually, the master calls him out, and the master says that he's actually lying. It's a lie. Yeah? And he says this. Before, remember this. Parables are actually very simple. Yeah? And so when we look at that third servant, we see his character coming to the fore. So what he represents, he represents someone who's, been, who's received an incredibly generous gift, okay, by a very generous master, but unfortunately, he's brought into a distorted narrative and view about the master. Completely distorted. But the master then says to him, okay, you know, if it was perfectionism that you were not going to be able to hit, okay, then why didn't you just put my money in the bank? Because think about this. The easy thing to do would be put money in the bank. You literally take the money, go to the bank, put it on, I'll come get it from you when I need it. Isn't it harder and take more effort to hide the money? Because he wouldn't have just like left the building and just wherever he found it, oh, just dig a hole. No, because someone would probably take it. So he had to devise a plan. He had to find the right place to hide this money. And that's why the master calls him out and says, your heart is evil. 
you do not value what I value. So he assumes the worst, and therefore, because he assumes the worst of people, he treats them in the very same manner. He was not scared because the master was successful. He did not care. And so the very thing that he was, that his character, he begins to, he projects onto others. And so the master calls him out and says, you're evil. You think nothing of me as the master, and you think nothing about my resources and what I value. So his actions spoke louder than words. And then the master says, take that one and give it to the ten, the guy who has ten. Again, you know, we probably would have gone, no, give it to the guy with four. But the master knows what he is doing. But the amazing thing here is we get to learn that, again, generosity, they get to keep what they had made. But more importantly, we learn this exercise had nothing to do with profit and everything to do with becoming who the master has called us to become. Each, sing, each and every one of us have an ability, whether you want to admit it or not. And the master is saying, will you use that for me and my kingdom today? That's the question. Are we ready to answer that question? Jesus then concludes with a proverb. And he says this, For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. You need to understand that that proverb has got nothing to do with money. He's using an economic metaphor for spiritual perception. It's not about the rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer. It's not what it's about at all. What he's saying is the following. He's saying there are many who have a skewed or wrong perception of Jesus. Many. And what he's saying is that those who have the wrong perception of who Jesus is have very little. And that very little will get taken away. But that those who have the right view, the right perception of who the master is, so much more will be added. So much more. The generous and delightful master who wants us to grow and become the people he made us to be, that he delights in his people. The kingdom is all about people discovering Jesus. That's ultimately what the kingdom's about. The kingdom and the king. And we're there to discover who he is. It's not about the money. It's not about the talents. It's about the joy of the master. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. We get to share in the master's joy. People, money, and time. Those are the... three key themes of this parable. And if you think about it, just about everything in your life can be allotted to one of those buckets. People, money, and time. The challenge is when we do not have the right view of the master, when our view of Jesus is distorted, those three things become corrupt. particularly that middle one. When I don't recognize the generosity 
of a king. My view on money is completely corrupted. It's all about me and how much more I can get. The kingdom of heaven is first and foremost about the king. We need to have the right view, the right perception of who he is this morning. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes as we pray this morning. Jesus, I start this prayer off this morning by repenting. By repenting of having moments where my view of you has been low. Where I have not recognized just how incredibly kind and generous you are. Where I have forgotten that you delight over every single one of your servants. Every single one of your sons and your daughters that you've invited us into your kingdom, that you've invited us in to share in your joy. What a gift you've invited us into this morning. I repent, Lord, for when I've let that view slide. This morning, Lord God, I want to recognize Jesus for who you are. You're the King of kings. You're our master this morning, a generous and kind master. And maybe you, wherever you're at, you need to repent this morning. But the beautiful thing of the master in his kindness, he knows we're human. And when we repent, it gives us the opportunity to get back on track with him. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never actually said yes to that master. Maybe you've never said, I want to follow the king of kings. If, you, if that's you this morning, if you've never said yes to Jesus, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand this morning. We'd love to pray with you this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we realize and we recognize this morning there is only one true master. That the world may come at us and may tell us that there are a number of masters. But actually, Lord, there's only you. And in this moment, Lord God, we repent of our old ways and we turn to you and we say, Lord, from this day forward, we follow you. You're our master. You're our king. We follow you this morning. I put the old beside behind me. The new me will follow Jesus. The new me will follow the King of kings and Lord of lords this morning. In your incredible name we pray. What an amazing word. We hope you enjoyed that sermon. If you would like to find out more about Life Changes Church, why don't you go onto our website or you can follow us on our social media. Have an amazing, amazing week.